I want to begin by first commending to your prayers Father Stephen Gutskull. Father Stephen is a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha, who was very kind to me during the time that I served at St. Barnabas. Um, he was found uh, murdered in his rectory this morning in Fort Calhoun. So please uh, do remember Father Stephen, his brother Father Michael, in your prayers. Every year, about this time, the church seems to remember all of a sudden that first impressions count. We recognize that in the next two weeks or so, more people will be in and out of our doors, in and out of our pews, than in the whole rest of the year, perhaps the rest of it combined. And so we say to ourselves, all right, we've got to get serious, have a good product here to sell. So Father, best sermon of the year. Deacon, servers, don't mess anything up. Got to look sharp. Musicians, you really better knock it out of the park because if they don't like you, they're not coming back. People in the pews, don't scowl, smile bright. Greeters, 
best grins, shake their hands, make them feel welcome, and for Pete's sake, please leave the best parking spots for the guests. None of these are bad things. They're all sound enough as far as techniques go. And don't get me wrong, I do recognize that we here at Christ the King have a kind of persistent, stable disposition towards hospitality. I'm not knocking that. But I have to be honest, even as a kid growing up in the church, I watched this frenzy of energy every year, and I asked myself, do they realize this all seems kind of fake? I don't mean to say that I think our hospitality is insincere, nor do I mean to say that I think the hospitality, like of my home parish when I was a kid, was insincere. But if we think that what we do here, if we think, really, that what we do here and who we are here every week is somehow insufficient, if we think we need to gussy ourselves up to look better so that maybe somebody who doesn't usually go to church might consider staying after they're visiting during the holidays, then I think we need to look harder at ourselves. Am I the kind of person that I would like to go to church with on Sunday? Am I the kind of person I would like sitting in the pew next to me on any particular Sunday? Am I the kind of Catholic that I would like to go to church with, to learn to grow in faith with, to be able to share things with, after time's gone on to trust with difficult questions, worries, anxieties, the stuff in my life, and share the stuff in theirs? Am I the kind of person that would be willing and brave enough to ask questions or offer correction if I thought someone whom I loved for my relationships in the church needed it or deserved it? Would I be brave enough outside of here, in public, at work, at school, at play, would I be brave enough to stand up for the faith, to correct errors concerning it, to suffer, even if it means difficulty or loss of work or clients, problems in personal relationships, loss of important relationships, because of the faith that I profess here on Sunday? Because if the answer to any of those is no, then no amount of Christmas giveaways or holiday greetings will ever take. In fact, it'll probably make it worse. It'll fall flat, and it'll feel, as it did for me as a kid, fake. This dynamic was on full display this week as I watched the live stream of a funeral from the town of Nina in County Tipperary. Shane McGowan was the lead singer of The Pogues, which was an Irish punk band back in the 80s. Don't worry, I don't expect most of you to know him. But I promise whoever you listen to, if they've written anything in the last 40 years, they know it. Shane was a musician's musician, and he was one of the finest living poets until about a week ago. He was a genius, haunting capacity for the language, and an inveterate drunk. Or as he put it, a punk, a drunk, an old whore on junk. As you might expect, his personal life was therefore a mess. And he found himself at times having to lean not on his own personal faith, but on the faith of his community, which was not, as you might expect, spouse, kids, or close friends, because the drugs tended to push those away, but literally the random person that he might find sitting in the pew of his nearest Catholic church. Shane 
was keenly aware of the role of grace in his own life and of the fact that he could lose it because he had again and again and again. He sang, If I should fall from grace with God, where no doctor can relieve me, if I'm buried neath the sod where the angels won't receive me, let me go, boys, let me go. Let me go down in the mud where the river all runs dry. See, Shane knew sin. He knew the reality of sin, serious sin, deadly sin, mortal sin. And he knew that life in grace and life apart, with, apart from it was as different as night and day. And though he struggled mightily with his own personal inner demons, he never once lost sight of the light, nor did he stop striving for it, reaching out after it, even when it seemed so far out of his reach. And unlike many of us, unlike many of us, the fact that it seemed out of his reach didn't make him despondent or despairing, didn't cause him to make excuses. It actually made the prize seem sweeter because it was worth fighting for. Now, in that context, listen again to the words of the prophet. In the desert, prepare a highway for the Lord. Make straight in the wasteland a highway for our God. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain laid low. The rugged land shall be made smooth, the rough country, broad valley. There the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together. Now, conventional wisdom tells us that when we're trying to get people to do something, we make it look easy. Turns out our God is anything but conventional. The elevator pitch that he offers both to Isaiah and then later to the Baptist is basically this. Is your life messed up and seems irretrievably broken? Do you keep falling into the same bad, sinful, and demoralizing behaviors? Does it feel like nothing is ever really going to change? Then come out to the desert and try and do the hardest thing you could ever imagine. It'll work, I promise. But of course it does. Again, and again, and again, it does. Which is why every year, the church has us turn, at least in a certain sense, backwards, to relive the events leading up to our salvation. This isn't to solicit warm and fuzzy feelings, the stuff we associate with Christmas Day, but rather because each one of us, every single one of us in this church today, including me, including Father, including the deacon, Every one of us is in deep need of real personal conversion. Each one of us is irretrievably broken. And left up to ourselves, we will mess our lives up. Unquestionably. If you don't believe me, talk to the person who lives with you. But the hope comes not in white-knuckling it and trying to get over the next hump all on our own. The hope comes in a Savior who can do for us what we cannot do ourselves. It requires moral conversion. It, it presumes moral conversion, but it is so much more than just better behavior. Now, 
we tend not to like this. We'd much prefer to say that we struggle in normal, ordinary, TikTok-friendly ways. Our struggles are supposed to be conventional and polite, the sort of things that everybody else struggles with, and therefore are not really worth worrying about in any serious way. Certainly wouldn't require a great deal of attention on my part to, like, fix stuff. Of course, the trouble is both things are true. Your problems are very much like everyone else's problems, but that is precisely why they are worth worrying about. This is precisely why we need a savior. This is also why we have confession. This is the ordinary means by which the Lord restores us to the life of grace. He knew that most of us would not be able to sustain the totality of a life of grace after the day of our baptism. He knew that we would fall, mostly in small ways, but sometimes in very big ones, and not just serial killers and Hitler. Every person in this room is competent of a mortal sin. I promise. Wait around long enough, I'll show you. And I'll give you some of mine. Friday was a very difficult day for all kinds of reasons. Somebody decided it would be a great idea to set up an altar to Satan at the state capitol. So then, of course, somebody decided a priest needed to go and do something about that. And I don't know if it was the devil getting back at me or what, but... I was off Friday night, and I got mad, mad in a way that I should not have, and that was very disedifying in the context of the liturgy. That's a sin. That's a serious sin. That's a sin I have to confess and repent of, and I have to work consciously hard to do and be better, not only when I'm celebrating Mass, but in the whole of my ordinary moral life. Working harder isn't going to get me there by itself, but I can't get there without putting the work in. And that's the reason that the gospel begins with a call to repentance. It's entirely true. We're called to more than just good behavior. We're called to communion with the living God. We're called to share God's life in the here and now and to receive his grace, especially and preeminently through the sacraments. But we can't do that if we're still all bound up in our own stuff especially if we're, if we're in a permanent or, or kind of stable way entangled in bad habits or bad relationships or abuses of power or, 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 or personal gain. This is why we have to be able to admit what's actually wrong with us. Our desire, generally, is to try and distance ourselves from our sins. Well, uh, Father, sometimes I, uh, I don't use the best language. You mean you cuss too much? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, uh, Father, uh, sometimes, um, you know, stuff I look at on the internet, it might not be the best. You mean you look at porn, uh, if you say so. Uh, Father, sometimes I'm not as kind to my wife as I should be. You mean you're a jerk. But see, you can't stop being a jerk until you admit it. You can't stop lying or cheating or stealing until you call yourself, until you own your own liarhood, your own thievery. Why? Because if you don't admit it, you don't really think it's that wrong. It's one of those justifiable sins that I can continue to commit quietly without much fear of retribution. This is deadly. It's what the Baptist was after. And it's why later on, both he and Jesus will get on the pious people of their day for hypocrisy whitewashed tombs, 
You're making it look good on the outside, but it's no good on the in. Or, as one old priest who used to serve here told me once, don't make it look good on the outside if it ain't first good on the inside. That's what Advent is calling us to. That's what these last two weeks are in an especial way supposed to, to attract our focus. It's not simply about stirring up the right kind of emotions so that we can fall down in adoration before the babe in the manger. That is important. We'll get there, I promise. But we have to experience the conversion of the Baptist first. And notice what John does in Jesus' life. Invariably, infallibly, he always precedes him. It's why his title, right, is John the Forerunner or John the Precursor, John the Prologue, as it were. Why? Because he's conceived before and he recognizes Jesus even while in the womb, leaps in his own mother's womb. Then later in their public ministry, John precedes Jesus. He starts baptizing before Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus' own baptism is sort of the inauguration of his public life. And then, at the end, it is John who first precedes the Lord Jesus into death. So make no mistake, what John calls us to, the voice that's still crying out from the wilderness, what he's calling us to is to stake your life on the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. It is he whom we worship this day and every time we come to the altar. It is he whom we dare to receive if we have examined ourselves and found ourselves ready, open, competent to the grace And it is he who will ultimately ask for an accounting of the way that we have chosen to use this grace and every good gift that has come from him. 